Nice to see you guys. Um, we're going to be looking at Proverbs chapter 3, if you want to get over there. We have to fit this mic for the fact that uh, Ben and I have very different sized skulls. Um, I have a question. How many of you have ever done something really dumb? Show of hands. Okay, this book is supposed to help us do less of that. And so we're going to be looking at the book of Proverbs. Um, and specifically in chapter 3, Tim Keller describes this particular chapter as a really great overview of the entire book of Proverbs. We're not going to be able to go through the whole thing. We could probably take weeks to do that. Um, but I want to do some highlights. And what we want to look at in the book of Proverbs um, is just this idea that the world is complicated, that when the fall happened, when sin entered the world, relationships, our understanding of ourself, our understanding of how to deal with one another has become really, really messy. And the book of Proverbs, among a lot of different areas of scripture, is really a very practical place to ground ourselves, to really meditate on, and to begin to learn how to navigate this world. Because it is not easy. And as we look at the last year and a half or two years of so much fun, right? I don't know how bad it was in Pasadena. I'm out in Santa Monica. It was, you know, it was very, very, very rough. And what happens when you go under this kind of a, a, a year, one, nobody knows how to navigate it. How many of you have navigated a pandemic and a terrible year of voting and politics and a couple riots? Anybody? Nobody knows how to do this. Nobody knows how to do this. And if anyone tells you they know how to do it, they do not know how to do this. And so this is such an important time for us to set aside man's wisdom and go right back to scripture and go right back to what the Lord has called us to. Because when we take tasks on, when we take on evil, when we take on stress, when we take on threat, when we take on frustration from our own will and our own man-made thoughts, we can make it even worse. I think about Paul, who originally was Saul, when we think about the New Testament. And when you think about Saul before the Holy Spirit came upon him, he was zealous for the Lord. He loved God. He loved God's word. He was committed to seeing any kind of sin or heresy like weeded out. But what did he do with that passion? Yeah, I can see this through your masks. He killed people. His anger and his passion took him to a completely destructive place and he could not see it in himself. So what happened is when the Holy Spirit got a hold of him, when the Lord got a hold of him, he put a new passion in Paul. He was just as passionate for God and God's things, but now it was a passion that brought life. It was a passion that brought hope. It was God's kingdom coming on earth, his will being done on earth as it is in heaven in a way that cost Paul dearly. There, you know, this was not an easy life for him, but he was healing people, he was invested in people's lives, he was speaking wisdom. All his letters are filled with wisdom and he was speaking truth and he transformed the world. And so that's the same wisdom available to us that Paul had. So we want to invite the Holy Spirit to work in us, but we want to root and anchor ourselves in God's words. If you've ever seen a church go off the rails charismatically, it's because they lose track of what God's word says. And so we want to go back and ground ourselves in the truth of scripture 
and um, Ben mentioned this last week, but ground ourselves in the character of who God is, remembering what he's like. Because what we don't wanna do is say, God, give me your salvation and give me your blessings and I'll take it from there. What we wanna do is say, I'm so grateful for your salvation. I need your blessings and I wanna root myself in your character. I wanna approach this crazy, broken world I wanna take my crazy, broken, internal world and I wanna bring it to you for your wisdom and for your counsel. And so that's what we're looking at in the book of Proverbs. Specifically, it it addresses a lot of things, but this is my opinion. Um, We know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. I feel like the book of Proverbs is one of the most practical places to do the second half of God's greatest commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's so much rich goodness in that. So when we look at the book of Proverbs, I wanna do a quick overview before we get into chapter three. When you look at the whole thing, you're gonna notice two things, two themes. One is the theme of a tree, and the other is the theme of a path. You'll see that repeated over and over again. You're gonna see it specifically in chapter three. The tree of life is meant to be a contrast to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If we go back to the garden, you've got the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when humankind engaged in wanting to know good and evil and wanting the power that came through that, we introduced ourselves to some things we have no capacity to deal with. If you have dealt with brokenness, if you have dealt with evil, you know it creates chaos and darkness and heaviness, and it is absolutely overwhelming. Um, Ben mentioned, um, I'm no longer on on staff with Vintage, I love Vintage, but I've gone back to my counseling practice and I do consulting. And so much of the work that I do is repairing the brokenness that comes from evil. It's endlessly dealing with the fact that we cannot cope once we see how evil this world is able to be and people break down and they pull apart. And so the tree of life and this path is this invitation that now that we can't undo what's happened, we're gonna invite the work of the Holy Spirit to work in us, but we're gonna listen to the counsel of the creator of the universe. What do you have to say to me about how to navigate this place? And how do I get that so deeply ingrained in who I am that I'm able to hold on to it even when I'm so tempted to go the wrong way or I'm so tempted to engage in the world system for how to manage things. And in the last year and a half, two years, where we've gone is I think most of us, if we're honest, have felt a sense one way or another of threat. Threat to our physical well-being, threat to our financial well-being, threat to our political ideals, threat to our future. How many of you would say, of everything I named, you felt some sort of threat in the last year? Oh, please. Come on. Mm -mm. Up, up. All right, look around, most of us. And the challenge with threat, and the challenge what I know from my counseling work, is once we go into threat, we go into self-preservation. Pure fight or flight. Fight, flight, fawn, or freeze would be the technical stuff. But we go into fight or flight. And when we go into fight or flight, we lose our capacity to think wisely. 
We lose our capacity to think big picture and long term. We lose our, our sort of resiliency and our resourcefulness, and we go straight to what's going to keep me alive, what's going to protect me. And what you see on the two ends of the spectrum are some people will move toward high control. I'm going to stay alive by staying the center of the universe, telling everybody how to think the way I think, trying to control everybody around me. Or you can go on the other end of the spectrum of I'm going to survive by hunkering down, going very small, avoiding all conflict, and hoping that this all goes away. And what the book of Proverbs does is this invitation to courage, to say, I'm not going to live as if I'm the center of the universe and ruin my relationships by being controlling. And I'm not going to live as if evil doesn't exist and I'm going to bury my head in the sand like it's not happening. I'm going to go back to scripture. I'm going to go back to what God says. I'm going to approach the world with this kind of wisdom. So as we look at Proverbs, this is just an invitation to face ourselves, face one another, and face the world with God's plan. So if we start in chapter three, verse one, it says, my child, never forget the things I have taught you. Store my commands in your heart. If you do this, you'll live many years and your life will be satisfying. Never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Tie them around your neck as a reminder and write them deep within your heart. Then you will find favor with both God and people, and you'll earn a good reputation. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. And so as we take a look at this, what we're invited to right away, if we go back to verse three, is never let loyalty and kindness leave you. That is designed to frame up this chapter. Usually what we do is go to verse five, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. And that, we definitely need to do that. But we're really called right now to let loyalty and kindness lead us. And if we're really honest, that is incredibly difficult when we feel threatened. It is incredibly difficult when we feel like we are in the face of evil. And this doesn't mean be naive, and it doesn't mean let evil win. So I wanna make sure before you get concerned that I don't know how to navigate conflict, I'm pretty good at it. But anyway, um, it is not about just being naive. But no matter what happens, we want to continue to invite the Lord to bring his kingdom, which is a kind, loving, just kingdom. It is not loving to let injustice continue. It is not loving to let evil prevail. That is, I don't know what that is. That's fairy tale land that is not healthy. But at the end of the day, the goal, even if it's to extinguish evil, is still deeply rooted in love. It's ultimately occurring for the flourishing of everyone else. It was interesting, you had mentioned the um, earthquake in Haiti, which obviously is very concerning. And under, you know, at any point in the world, there are disasters happening. 
But years ago, in 2004, if you recall, right at Christmas time, there was a really, if you're old enough, um, there was a massive tsunami that hit Southeast Asia. How many of you remember that? Over 250,000 people were killed. It was terrible. And at the time, several weeks later, after getting some visas, I went out with a a couple people to do some relief work and to do some counseling work. And what was so interesting is we went to a couple different countries, but we landed in Sri Lanka. And if you're familiar with them, they have a lot of, well, like civil war. It's just a really difficult spot. And after this, and prior to the tsunami, there had been a lot of infighting, uh, just a really, really big mess. But one of the things that was happening is a particular group of people began setting off bombs in churches, Christian churches, and it was really brutal. The tsunami hit, it devastated the coast. It was unbelievable. Um, and when we got there, we were working with a specific church, and one of the things that was so impressive is they told us the story, all the harrowing events they had experienced before the tsunami, is immediately once it hit, they mobilized their church. They had spent a year working through this idea that every member is a minister and were designed to go out into the world and bring God's goodness. As soon as the tsunami hit, they were incredibly organized, they were, they were a well-oiled machine, and they sent out their congregation to the entire southern and eastern coast to go bring aid. And they brought aid to the same communities that had been bombing churches. And their work was so impressive, and their work was so well done, but done with so much love that the government reached out to them and said, you're actually doing this better than we are. Can we give you funds so that you continue this work? Previously, the Christian church's relationship with the government was very tense. I believe that still remains the case. But in this moment of tragedy, given any world system, when your enemy is down and out, that is often when you go in for the kill. End them. They've been attacking us. They're weak and they're down. And what did the church do? It showed up with the love of Christ. And that was a very powerful message. It was interesting, we were reading op-eds in the newspapers, and there's a lot of English uh, material that you can still read there. Um, and we just noticed people coming forward going, we've always had this impression of Christians as being exploitive and selfish and on and on and on, and we're watching them show up for our communities in ways that we had never expected. And you began to see this shift the world system would have said, this is your enemy, put an end to them. But as this church stopped and prayed and asked the Lord for wisdom, they went in and they showed kindness and they showed love and they showed compassion. And that was more powerful than wiping a few people out and taking advantage of the situation. And, but it's not instinctual. This kind of generosity or this kind of effect on people is not going to match with our broken instincts. So it says, never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Then you'll find favor with both God and people. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do and he will show you what path to take. And in this, what we're really doing is acknowledging the need to lay down our plans or our ways of doing things. 
And in the last year, I don't know about you, I don't really want to admit this, especially because it's on film and it stays forever and <laughs> sometimes you don't want that. But I don't care. Um, so I'm just going to tell you. But like, I mean, I've had some relationships end over politics. Anybody else? Any hands up? You can leave me hanging? Okay. I wish they hadn't. I really, really wish they hadn't. I've had some very strained relationships over politics. I think we've got to admit that. I think there are times you've got to back off. I think there are times the tension's just too high, and it's not going to help to keep coming back at each other with the same conversations, wound up and stressed out and trying to, to resolve what we see differently. But at the end of the day, it's going to be so important in this next chapter of our story as a community that even if we need to step back even if we need to kind of get some space from some conversations or for some people, that we go back into scripture to figure out where to go from here. Reduce the sense of threat. Reduce the ego. Sometimes threat isn't just that my physical well-being is gonna be attacked. Sometimes threat is I had a position, now that the news is showing me more information, you know what I mean, now that more is being discovered, I'm recognizing maybe my position wasn't as accurate as I thought, but I don't wanna lose this fight. Anybody understand that? We can absolutely ruin ourselves with that kind of attitude. Wanting to always win will destroy us, and it's not scriptural. There will be times where the Lord will say, I want you to be humble. I want you to apologize if you need to apologize. Admit it if you need to admit it. Tell me what your concerns are if you do that. Maybe the concern is this person's going to one-up me. Maybe the concern is I'm going to lose status. Maybe the concern is some negative consequence will happen to me. And sometimes we have to lay that down and go, Lord, I'm just gonna follow your word and do the right thing and let you worry about my reputation. Let you worry about the consequences. Let you worry about the outcome of this. But what I'm not gonna do is lock horns with my brother and sister or lock horns with my enemy and try to win this battle while we rip each other's horns off. I'm gonna step back and make sure whatever I ground myself in Whatever I, however I approach this, I approach it like you would, with love and with kindness and with loyalty and with honesty. And when we fail to embrace those principles, when we fail to embrace um, God's character, we will find ourselves continually engaged in chaos, continually engaged in stress. So the call here in terms of trusting the Lord and putting his will first is to be humble and recognize no matter how strong my instincts are, sometimes I might be wrong. And sometimes I've got to listen. And especially when you've been, I've been, you've been, we've been told the same thing over and over and over again by several people. Sometimes it's time to stop and listen and actually pay attention. It was really interesting. I do not have children, so I'm not ratting out one of my kids. Um, but I remember watching this teenager trying to learn how to drive, and it was a female, and every time she got in the car to learn how to drive, she just insisted that she knew how to do it. 
I, don't, I know, just don't bother me, and got kind of snippy. And so the person teaching her was trying to keep her in really safe locations, parking lots and places where she couldn't like take people and property out. Um, and so they're working, they're trying to work this whole thing out. But finally the day comes and she's okay of a driver. And so her mom takes her to go get her driver's license. And we're sitting in the DMV parking lot. And this young girl gets in with, so first of all, who's, what's the name of the person that has to do your test with you? Anyone know? What, the driver's license test guy. That person. Um, and so what a job. <laughs> they should be paid a lot of money. And so anyway, he gets in with her, and you could just see, she's walked into this with the wrong attitude to start with. She pulls out of the DMV parking lot, and I am not kidding you. First of all, she burned a little bit of rubber. And, she, and then she pulls out, she's supposed to make a right-hand turn. Super simple, right? No, she's flying. So she goes out into the lane of oncoming traffic, and then eventually lands back in the lane that she's supposed to be in. They're gone for whatever, 15 minutes. The mom and I are looking at each other. I'm like, I don't, I don't think that went well. I don't think that really went well. So she comes back. She has failed, right? So I'm thinking what she's going to say is, oh, man, I blew it. But what did she say? That guy was so unfair. This is so unfair. I'm a good driver. She failed her test three times. It took her years to finally get it. And no matter how much you tried to correct her and help her, the correction was to help her. Nobody felt like driving her around anymore. You know what I mean? And, but nobody wanted to unleash her on the road without the proper skills. And the correction was designed to help, but no matter how many times she was corrected, she held her ground. She knew how to drive, and nobody was gonna tell her any different. And thank goodness for all of us, it took years for her to be able to get that. And so there are times where we have to say, Lord, I just need to listen. I keep experiencing the same consequences. And I really, really need to listen. In fact, if you look at 12-step, what you find um, in recovery work is you've got these 12 steps. And the very beginning of recovering from an addiction, the very beginning of recovering from a destructive lifestyle that is not helping you, a lifestyle where you bury your head in the sand and you don't pay attention to how you're doing and you're not aware of yourself or the world around you because you're kind of living in this manufactured reality. The very first step is to say we admitted we were powerless over our addiction, our problem, our alcohol and that our lives had become unmanageable. And we came to believe, step two, that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And I would say in this moment in our culture, we need to recognize only a power greater than ourselves will restore us to sanity. Right? Can I get an amen on that? We're not gonna figure it out. We're all threatened. We're all stressed. Our feelings are hurt. Our well-being feels attacked. We're not in good shape. And it's so important that we let something greater than ourselves begin to guide us. That we admit that we don't know everything and that we don't always get it right. And so one thing um, 
I just want to kind of recommend this, but I don't know what you're doing for community groups right now. If you are doing nothing else, Proverbs is designed to be meditated on. It's not meant to be powered through, memorized, and you're on your way. It's really meant to be thought through. If you are doing nothing else, grab a couple people and read through Proverbs 3. Let it speak to you. Pray through it. Examine yourself against the wisdom of this. But as we look at the rest of Proverbs 3, we're not going to read the whole chapter. But we want to see these themes where God calls us to be generous. I love that we sang that song this morning, the generous giver. To treat others well and to embrace common sense and discernment. That's how the rest of that chapter goes. So we're supposed to honor the Lord with our wealth. And often what I see is that passage sometimes is a little bit taken out of context. Chapter three is supposed to be read as a whole. And it says, honor the Lord with your wealth and the best part of everything you produce. Then you will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. There's truth to God's blessing when we're generous, but it's never meant to be removed from the rest of this passage. Sometimes your vats will overflow because you treat people really well at work and you conduct your business with a ton of integrity. That's sometimes the way that the vats overflow. Not just that I live my life however I want, I write a 10% check and I expect my investment to be returned. This is really designed to be kept as a whole. My child, don't reject the Lord's discipline. We're really told to approach the world and approach life with a posture and a mentality to say, sometimes I will need to be corrected. And just like that teenage driver, it will be for my good when I examine myself against scripture. Joyful is the person who finds wisdom, and it talks about the profitability of wisdom. She offers you long life in her right hand and riches and honor in her left. She will guide you down delightful paths. And so in addition to Proverbs talking about this idea of this tree that is a contrast to the knowledge of good and evil, this good tree that you live under, it's shade, you eat its fruit, you benefit from all the goodness of it, we're also told that Proverbs brings us down a path. And throughout the book, it'll talk about Proverbs or wisdom is often referred to as a woman. And it'll be the path of foolishness or folly or the path of wisdom and life. And it's so important that as we walk with the Lord, that we continually invite his counsel into how we live. Because it's so easy to get caught up in what this world promises us, in what this world says that we need. And so much the book of Proverbs or even scripture as a whole is freedom from idolatry. It's a freedom from things that we grip onto and we insist that we need that will actually ruin us. When we were created, God had given us this whole world. He'd given us relationships. He'd given us every resource that we have here. But the goal was never for us to serve those things, worship those things, live for those things. That removes all of our dignity of being made in his image. All of those things are to be used for his glory and for the benefit of mankind. These are not things that we should be worshiping. I can't worship the approval of people 
or people will rule me. I cannot worship finances and power, or finances and power will rule me. I can have those things. I can have relationships, finances, power. God should always be first. They should never be my God. And scripture and Proverbs is a continual invitation to get this thing on track. Because once something starts ruling you, and if it is not God, and it does not love you, it will ruin you. It will ruin you. God will give some of you a tremendous amount of power. He will give you some of you a tremendous amount of wealth. There's nothing wrong with that. Use it for his glory. Some of you will have incredible relational favor. There's nothing wrong with that, but use it for his glory. This counsel is designed to set us free. And so a couple things I want to just encourage us to, take a, to do and as we consider this whole, you know, how long are you doing this series? Three more weeks. Stay in the book of Proverbs. Let it speak to you. Let it guide you. And mull it over. You don't want to try to just zip through this thing. You really want to take your time through it. And a couple things that I want to encourage us to do is just some ways to apply this. As you read Proverbs, make sure you are self-reflecting. Really being brutally honest with yourself about how you behave. It's so easy to read this and apply it to someone else. That is not the point. The point is to look at how you behave. I cannot tell you. Um, it's just super frustrating and heartbreaking. I love my work in counseling, but I cannot tell you how many times, especially when I'm working with a couple, they sit down and one of them has been told over and over and over again, sometimes for years, that they have behaviors and habits that are hurtful or offensive to their spouse. And they ran that information through a grid that allowed them to diminish what they were hearing. They, but when I ask them, would you put up with it? The roles were reversed and your spouse did this to you. How would you handle that? And they all admit, I wouldn't like it. So when I ask them, well, what happened when your spouse told you, you do this? and they have a whole rationalization and filter for diminishing that information. The consequences of neglecting that information will stick with them. So all they did is create a delusion. It wasn't a real experience. Does that make sense? Proverbs is designed for you to reflect upon yourself. And we've had two years of thinking about how someone else should do it differently, right? So we've got to step back. If we're gonna restore our sanity and look at what we're doing and be honest with ourselves. We also need to observe what's going around us. To continue in the book of Proverbs, um, Henry Cloud actually did a great talk. You can find it on YouTube on one of the vintage pages, but on the wise, the foolish, and the evil person. So this won't only be about you. You need to discern what's going on around you as well. And some behaviors are foolish and evil, and it's important that you figure out how to set boundaries with those things. But first, we want to look at us. And finally, we want to take the risk, or not finally, thirdly, we want to take the risk of applying what we see, applying what's in Scripture. It will not always feel easy. But when Scripture tells me to be honest, and I'm tempted to just fudge and not tell the truth, 
It's important that I, again, like I said earlier, I apply it and I trust God with the outcome. When scripture says apologize, apologize, trust God with the outcome. When scripture says confront, confront, correct, trust God with the outcome. But sometimes we're trying so hard to manage the outcome that we throw away all of the good counsel that God's given us. So we want to first take steps toward what he's calling us to. Finally, as we do these things, developing trust in God, pay attention to his faithfulness because he is faithful. The book of Proverbs is not a book of promises, it's a book of principles. Just like eat well, sleep, exercise, not too much stress, and you know, your body will be in good shape. There's always exceptions to that, right? There's always the outliers of someone who did all that and gets really sick and their body breaks down, someone who did none of it and are 150 years old, right? We always see that. But generally speaking, these principles keep us on a path where we see God's blessing, we see flourishing, you will earn respect and honor, your relationships will go well, and in the long run, you will have been part of bringing God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And we wanna continue to recognize how good he is, how wise he is, and not just lean into instinct, but invite him to override that. If you're not a little bit uncomfortable in your walk, if you're not a little uncomfortable with how you handle the wor world, I wanna ask you to challenge yourself a bit more because this isn't easy. It's actually hard. But this is where the fruit is, this is the good path, this is where the blessings are, this is where God shows up. So we wanna invite him to be a part of that. So what I wanna do is I'm gonna have Ben come up and he's gonna lead us in a little bit of time and worship. Does that sound good? All right.